I have directed Secretary Connolly to suspend temporarily the convertibility of the dollar into gold. We print it digitally. The strength of a nation's currency is based on the strength of that nation's economy. So we, you know, we as a central bank, we have the ability to create money. What does it mean for you? We also print actual currency. Yeah. But remember, our, our economy has got very strong, long-term fundamentals. That actually increases the money supply. All but perfect agreement on macroeconomics. Now, that just sounds so romantic. He could have just... This is a podcast dedicated to exploring the money that rules the world and the guns that back it. This is Guns and Money. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to episode 5 of Guns and Money. I'm Dan Willis, I'm your host, as you I'm sure have gotten familiar with by now. Uh, welcome to the show, I'm glad you're here. Um, we are going to follow up tonight on the events of January 6th. I did a show kind of unprepared, uh, shooting from the hip, and just following the events of the 6th. And obviously things have, have gone way outside of the realm of, of where I thought they were going to go, at least in such a short time period. The last two weeks has been um, kind of nonstop in terms of follow-on events or, or secondary things happening in the wake of January 6th that I think really need our attention. So before we get into the, the meat and potatoes of tonight's show, firstly, on a light note, I'd like to thank you, uh, new listeners, new watchers, viewers, new subscribers to the YouTube channel. Thank you so much. Um, the support means a ton, and we're glad you're here. Um, to everyone that shared the show or reached out to me and, and had a phone call with me or a text or email or um, we exchanged some words on social media, thank you. Uh, the, the interactions and the engagements that I've had with, with listeners and viewers of this show since I started has been just remarkable. Um, I'm talking to folks of all different political stripes, of all different walks of life and professions, and, and um, it's just been really phenomenal to see how much we have in common when the entire world seems to be uh, splitting down the middle. Um, so it gives me a lot of, I guess, encouragement when, when we have those great chats, especially after or during, really, such an incendiary time. And that goes for the general backdrop of the last year or two, maybe maybe 15, depending on your perspective, I don't know. But, but especially, I mean, we were talking in the immediate aftermath of, of um, the mob that, bro- that broke into the Capitol. And, you know, obviously we didn't quite know everything that was going on or that, that went down as, as immediately as we would have liked. But, uh, we had pretty, I think pretty even keeled conversations again, across the board from, from folks that, you know, disagreed or or see different perspectives. Um, I just want to encourage that, you know, continue to engage with, with myself and with folks on the threads as I post these or whatever, you know, Keep a full heart to the best of your ability. And I, and I know it's not always perfect, but um, so far what I've seen has been beyond encouraging. So we appreciate it and and keep it up. And I'll, I'll do the same. Uh, tonight's show, 
we are going to look at what is quickly quickly building um, this narrative that's building around Patriot Act 2.0. And to do that, we're going to look back at the first one and pull some, I think, key lessons learned and then just ask some questions about, you know, what's different about the current leadership, whether it be, you know, if you're really ginned up on on Biden and company coming in and taking the reins. OK, we, you know, I don't want to throw I don't want to throw um, rocks at that. I just think it's a great time to ask some really good questions. Um, and I also want to highlight another piece of of I, I call it gaslighting here. Um, maybe that's a, a touch too markety, but. We're just going to talk about a piece of fiat news that I saw recently that really made my head scratch, made me scratch my head. And I want to highlight there as kind of a regular theme on the show, not not to say, look, look at your stupid propaganda or this side's propaganda. Look how dumb it is. And ours is good. Or we have the facts. But but just to give you an idea of how you have to think about um, the information that you digest, because although we have more information than, than has ever been known at any period in, in the history of man. Um, that doesn't mean we have knowledge or wisdom or foresight. And that is what I want to help myself and my family and, and anyone who's willing to put in the, the sweat equity. It's what I want to help us all do. So that those are the wave tops of tonight's show. Before we get into the main part of the deck, finding us is becoming easier. So we obviously have a nice core of YouTube viewers, and I love that. Love doing the video. Love presenting these these slide decks and kind of walking you through my thoughts in a more structured way. But not everyone can can spend 40 minutes or an hour in front of a, a YouTube video. So if you're on the go a little bit more, we do have an audio version. It's out. It's on uh, Apple iTunes. It is on Google Play Store, Stitcher, all overcast all of the podcast apps we put it up to anchor.fm and it blasts throughout the the universe of of podcast platforms so just search guns and money uh, maybe guns and the the and sign and money and your favorite podcast app hit the subscribe button throw throw a review if you've got a moment that will help us hit the charts and pick up some more traction here so without further ado let's go ahead and break into the beginnings of tonight's presentation um, a quick transparency check. I want to talk about what I got wrong recently. And the main thing I want to focus on here is this. My original read of of the mob on January 6th was that they kind of got led into the building. And I I think that was mostly wrong. Um, it, I did not see the brutal beatings of the Capitol Police until probably a day or two. I mean, I was recording the show, but I, it was it was a couple of days after the event maybe the weekend after. And I originally was going to do another show that weekend, but but things kept happening. We had a, another follow-on event on Friday, and then the weekend was crazy. And I just wanted to be able to wrap my hands around what I saw going on before I just set my hair on fire and sat in front of the microphone for you guys. So I wanted, I wanted to have a little bit more to say, but I, I did get the violence piece wrong, I think, at first blush. Um, it was much more chaotic than originally expected. Now, was it chaotic enough to be considered a government overthrow or even really a terrorist event or a coup or sedition? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'll be very frank about that. I, and I'm not, that is not to say that I am downplaying those that lost their lives on that day. 
uh, both the Capital City police officer and I think uh, a handful of the folks that were involved in the crowd. You know, a loss of life during these times, anytime stinks. And especially when there's so much um, underlying tension and consternation and there's so much instability as we look out, try to look out to the near future about, you know, what, what direction is the country on from every dimension? There's just so much going on. So, I, you know, I'd never want to applaud um, another American losing their life, their life on American soil involved in a protest or, or a mob that just got, got pumped up by Donald Trump and others that presented at this this rally before it was moved to the the Capitol building. I mean, their actions are inexcusable. From a, I don't know if it's again not from a sedition standpoint, but just from like I expect more out of the people that we put in power, but we put in charge. And maybe I have thirty years of evidence not to, but you at least I still have that little spark in me too. That hey, if we're gonna if we're going to rally around a leader. Show me someone with character and grit and merit and um, someone that is not going to take difficult decisions lightly. And I, and we obviously just do not see that um, both in the presidency and I, I will highlight elsewhere. I mean, this this exists on the Hill. And my my position is, is generally that the beast is is kind of ungovernable, ungovernable at this point from the people's perspective, the constituents of this nation. We. We don't have our hands on the reins anymore. And I, I don't mean to throw stones at those of you that are excited about the incoming administration or think that that might mean we're getting our hands back on the reins. I don't think that's the case, but we'll see. We'll see. And I, I just want to, we should still keep tabs on the folks that have been in power for a long time in Congress <clears throat> and in the House, um, which which we don't do well. What narratives are still holding water? So, it's been called a white supremacist, you know, domestic terrorist attack. I think that is rapidly losing water. And the big point I want to point out here, um, it may have been overwhelming me, overwhelmingly a MAGA crowd, but the FBI did recently arrest a Mr. Sullivan who is involved with, he has basically an entity called Insurgency USA, and he was involved during a lot of the protests that turned violent over the summer. And he was in this crowd. And he live, you know, he video recorded the whole thing. Um, so it looks like there were some some pot mixers in there to, to use a, a poor term. Some some provocative folks that were there to, to stir things up. Um, you know, recent developments are we've got 20 to 30,000 National Guard troops in D.C. And a fence and concertine wire, sea wire wrapped around the Capitol building. <clears throat> the inaugurations closed to people. They put a bunch of flags on the on the mall instead. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty surreal inauguration on a lot of fronts. And the big development that we're going to discuss tonight is just the narrative building around support for really going on, going out and calling all these folks domestic terrorists. Um. I feel like we're we're waving the media at least is waving a much broader brush than is warranted. We are starting to conflate conservatism with with 
in some in some corners domestic terrorism or the idea that if you voted for Trump, you somehow supported terrorists. Um, that is not that's an escalation of the political tensions that exist, not not a cooler heads are going to prevail. That's a huge development. Some other things that happened while we were all really caught up in the January 6th events and what unfolded from there. Um, there's been a new strain, the B117 strain of COVID-19. Now, right now, this is not getting a ton of attention outside of Europe, but there is a, a very good likelihood that this could turn into another kind of explosion of, of COVID. Um, and we won't get too far into the weeds on that. I am going to write about that in more detail because I think it does have a lot of implications um, over the near term here for other things. But I do want to put that on your radar as we have all dealt with this for almost a year. Um, the fatigue of it, of just going through the motions when it comes to keeping yourself healthy is wearing on all of us. And also the political fatigue of, you know, it's one more intrusion on your individual liberties. And I, I don't think that's enough to like rage against the machine over like a mask mandate, but I do under, I understand it's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. That's not the first weight that we've put on the, the uh, shoulders of Americans when it comes to kind of government heavy handedness. And especially when you contrast that with the fact that 60% of small businesses are gone. And that's, that's millions of livelihoods that have been um, just dashed on the rocks with nothing more than a press release. And again, I am doing the best that I can to put my my condemnation over whether or not someone is making the appropriate healthcare decisions. I, I, I just want to see you as a person first and say, Hey, I connect with where you're feeling or where you're coming from, what you're feeling. And I think we should all look to do that first. A um, couple of things I'm watching closely, especially as Janet Yellen spoke today to a, uh, she was, gave congressional testimony. I think it was her, I don't know if it was her confirmation hearing. It may have been. Anyway, there were some interesting takes there, and the dollar didn't get crushed today, which tells you that I think that the last 90 days or so of, of dollar weakness, acceleration to the downside, especially against the euro, we might have priced in all the dovishness we're going to get out of Washington for a while. So more to come in the monthly newsletter that will be out at the end of the month for January. And um, also in a video, another video that will come out this week that leaves the world of politics alone for a little bit because I'm losing my mind covering this stuff. Uh, we need to talk about some economic stuff and some monetary and fiscal stuff. So let's, let's break into this. Um, what is happening right now is the narrative is being built for another Patriot Act. This one looks like we want to turn a lot of the cannons that we built with the first Patriot Act inward towards political opponents. So some of you might think, um, and understandably, you might have the perspective that we should. These were terrorists or insurrectionists, seditionists, and we should build a security apparatus to, to hunt these folks down. Okay. The only questions I have for, you, for that crowd are, 
A. Do you think that you will win or your preferred team will win every election going forward now? And if the answer is no, the second question is, do you think that if your opponents win an election and they inherit this newly added cannon to the national security arsenal that is the United States of America's uh, intelligence community, um, do you think that they will twist the facts to point the, the cannon at you? I have what I think are pretty high probability answers to those questions. And I, I don't think folks are really considering it because we're all getting whipped up into, again, another fervor over the response to January 6th. First, we, we were whipped up over January 6th itself and, and all the immediate hot takes that came out of that and all the politics and the implications. Da, 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 da. And then now it was the response. And some people are cheering it on and other people are, are, if they could find one, would be looking for an exit. But considering there's no... There are no more new worlds to discover to, to escape what you think is tyranny. Um, well, crap, we might have to figure this out here. So let's look at the original Patriot Act from 2001. And just to give you some context, again, this, this, this act was signed into law six weeks after the events of 9-11. And if you'll remember, I mean, uh, that was much heavier than obviously it was a much bigger event, but man, it, that the shock of 9-11 lasted for a while. And we were dropping bombs quickly on Afghanistan. And we were in Iraq less than Iraq. We were in Iraq less than two years later. What at the time was, I mean, and it, it was a war crime. Like, it wasn't Iraq, right? Like, Al-Qaeda um, was not Iraq. And yet we've spent a lot of blood and treasure there for 20 years now going on. And um, that's, we, we can't forget that. We can't forget the political pretext that existed to drive the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan that I ended up taking part in one of those. And all that that has cost us and not just in money or um, political capital with other international players, but it's cost us a lot in terms of our national identity. And I don't think we should be so giddy and uh, ready to dive headlong into doing this again, especially when we're starting to point that cannon at whether or not you consider them your neighbors, they are your fellow Americans. And we're seeing that kind of rhetoric. Um <clears throat> So let's talk about the, the, the major sections of the first Patriot Act that gave a ton of power to the National Security Agency and, and really the CIA, the DNI, all of these, all of these the folks in D.C. That, that would use the information they collected with the authority of the Patriot Act against the American people, or at least in a way that they lied about. So section 206, roving wiretaps. And before I break this down, this I'm bringing this to you uh, is a summary of the Patriot Act. And it's written by the CDT, the Center for De uh, Democratic Technology. And some they, they hosted this from some attorneys that work in the telecommunications space. So they were covering this from a what what are the implications to internet service providers and other 
telecom, media, technology businesses, how is this going to hurt you or, or what's this going to change? And the first thing they, they pointed out was Section 206. It effectively, the bottom line here in their, their estimation is it will increase roving wiretaps. And that's basically the ability to follow a target as opposed to a device. Um, under a previous law, I believe that was written into law in the 80s, the ECPA Act, is what set up the legal framework for get, obtaining a legal wiretap in the United States at a federal level. Um, most of that followed the device, the phone. So a target could just go use a payphone or use some other means of communication and they wouldn't be able to pick that up. Roving wiretaps means you, you no longer target the device, you target the individual. And it just helps you, you know, I guess more, helps you more continuously surveil a target. Now this is, I guess, if you're, if you are chasing bad guys, right? If you are chasing terrorists, this is totally fine. But what we quickly learned was that the Patriot Act was used as a way to just not target individual Americans per se, but to build a giant data collection machine that the government can then use to effectively influence decisions. Um, or at the very least, find out who's dissenting, who's not you know, towing the company line. It could get there with, with the wrong folks in charge. Section 214 was the trap and trace section. So the bottom line of this, in the words of CDT, expansion of FISA pen register trap and trace authority in FISA that should lead to a significant increase in such requests. So basically, pen register and trap and trace authority are are what you need to be able to get approval to bug somebody's communications, to, to pick up someone's communications. Um, and it's been done or it had been done under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. I believe that's what FISA stands for basically it's a special core and little legal system set up to obtain warrants to spy on folks that have you know that pose intelligence threats or pose threats to the united states from a foreign adversary or foreign official or foreign individual but what this did was it removed um it removed the necessity for the target in question to be engaged in even presumptive terrorist activity. <laughs> like they, they totally ripped it out. So let's read this quote. Uh, Makes it easier for the government to obtain a court order under FISA for pen register or trap and trace surveillance. Eliminates the requirement in 50 of the United States Code Section 1842C3 that the government certify that it has reason to believe that the surveillance is being conducted on a line or device that is or was used in, quote, communications with, end quote, someone involved in international terrorism or intelligence activities that may violate U.S. criminal law or a foreign power or its agent whose communication is believed to concern terrorism or intelligence activities that violate U.S. law. What this is saying, this, this legal jargon, it eliminates the requirement for all these things. They don't have to be a, a suspect in international terrorism or in intelligence activities outside of, you know, the accepted ones, the United States spies, right? They don't have to be a spy or a probable terrorist target. They don't have to be from a foreign power. They could be domestic. Um, that is a, that is what allowed what 
Edward Snowden, who I have pictured here, that's he, what's what he did. His his firm, Booz Allen Hamilton, helped the NSA basically collect and make sense of all of the data that the original Patriot Act made it possible for the U.S. government to collect on its citizens. I don't know very many people that, again, regardless of political stripes, that when we sit down and have a conversation about whether or not this is a good idea, I don't know very many people that think it's a good idea. I don't know that I've ever talked to anyone uh, you know, as a as a regular bloke face to face that thought allowing the government to surveil its citizens, whether it's metadata, the data of the transactions that we make or the in- interactions we have, or if it's the content of our of our communications, I don't think that matters that much. And we learned an important lesson from from William Binney, who I also have pictured here, who used to be an engineer with the NSA. Um, they don't need the content of our messages. Let's move on. Section 215, which generally just brought about more FISA expansion from the CDT. Uh, The bottom line here is it potentially is a broad expansion of the types of items which may be subjected to FISA subpoena. It may include servers, but provides for immunity for good faith disclosures. So what this did was it just expanded what was possible to obtain a FISA warrant to surveil. Um... And it's, again, this is broad expansion. This was not targeted targeted expansion to help bring to justice those that perpetrated the terrorist attacks of 9-11. It wasn't targeted, um, this was not a targeted effort to help fight some war against Al-Qaeda or Osama bin Laden or, who, you know, whoever was ultimately responsible for these attacks. This got used in a totally perverse way and almost right out of the gate. This particular section strikes me as a way to basically also incentivize businesses to voluntarily hand over records. We learned from the Snowden cache that was exposed that AT&T was just signed up to give data to the United States government. And the reason why was because within the Patriot Act, they were given immunity if they did if they did it if they, if they did that they, they say look if you come forward without us having to really wrench your arm here we'll just say no matter what we find on any of your networks or any of your platforms or whatever the case is you have total immunity um, yeah if I were a business leader I would make the same the same case um, and again. You don't have to be a foreign power or an agent of a foreign power or suspected of being engaged in terrorist activities to fall into the net that was created with with this first law, the first Patriot Act. And the last section that I want to highlight here um, is Section 216. And I titled the, the little header here, Carnivore Devices. And basically what that... From, from what I understand, and if someone else understands this better than me, please, if I get something wrong here, reach out and let me know what I, what I missed. But um, from what I, what I gather, these devices are just nodes that collect all data coming across a network. Just 
broad spectrum data collection. And the third individual that I have pictured on this slide, his name is James Clapper. And he was the, um, the director of the, the National Intelligence, or the DNI, Defense National Intelligence. Or I, I think that's the dom domestic national. I, I should have done a little more research on Mr. Clapper. But he was held in front of Congress and asked if they collect data on American citizens. And he said, no, not wittingly. Um, and if you watch that clip, and you've ever, you know, played poker or studied anything about body language when people are being dishonest. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a dead giveaway. This guy's sweating bullets. He's he's lying through his teeth. Um, and it looks like these carnivore devices are what were installed to collect everything on the Internet. Reading again from the CDT on Section 216, bottom line. Probably the most significant surveillance expansion in the act. It clarifies that pen register and trap and trace authority applies to internet traffic, permits nationwide service of process, and requires reports on use of, quote, carnivore, end quote, type technology. Does not sunset. There were sunset provisions for a number of the um, elements of the Patriot Act, meaning they go away after a certain period of time. I believe most of them were renewed both under the Obama administration and under the Trump administration. Um, some things were allowed to sunset, but I, I, from what I gather presently, all of the things that we don't want in there remained in there and did not sunset, and that would include Section 216. Continuing from this summary, the provision makes three changes to existing law. First, by adding the terms, quote, routing and addressing to the phrase dialing and signaling information, this amendment is intended to clarify that the pen register and trap and trace authority under ECPA applies to Internet traffic, provided that the information ret retrieved by these devices, quote, shall not include the contents of any communication, end quote. So, uh, like I mentioned, content is, is irrelevant. I mean, it... It would get pretty salacious, but you would have, if you're collecting all the data on the internet and for, for purposes of content, it's a fool's errand because there's too much. You can't possibly efficiently uh, sift through all of the content to find the credible threats that you need to focus on to make this, this framework workable from a, a, you know, a, a terrorism fighting point of view. Um, it's metadata. All you need is metadata, and that is who so-and-so gets in touch with, at what time of the day, and where are they when they have that conversation, and what did they recently spend money on, and where do they transact. You can get so much from metadata, and I mentioned this in a previous show, but William Binney highlights this brilliantly because he's the father of the system that he used, which I believe he calls ThinThread. When he was at the NSA, he developed the system to forget content data, focus on metadata, and, and just look at what you can learn from from those pieces of information. Um, the NSA still has that technology, I'm sure, and what they're up to with it is anyone's guess, but I'm sure it's not great. Uh, second, this provision also grants federal courts the authority to issue pen register and trap and trace orders that are valid anywhere in the United States, not just within their own jurisdiction. So basically, a federal court can grant a wiretap to anyone irrespective of jurisdiction um, 
and and again, just wide, broad expansion of what it means to legally surveil Americans in this country. And no one made too much of a fuss about it while we were fighting a war in Iraq and Afghanistan. We had some some unity there for a couple of years, but then the sectarian violence in Iraq broke out. The Taliban dug in and proved to be um, to be fighting with the knowledge of decades of, of fighting conventional forces. And it became a quagmire all around. And then Snowden dropped dropped the bombshell and and uh, Chelsea Manning, I believe is her name, with with releasing just the trove and, and WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, for that matter, just how just how rampant the war crimes and the lying and the deception was taking place at the highest levels in the federal government um, beginning around 2000, 2001. And we didn't solve these problems. We did not repeal this authority. We, we, there were some protests around 2012 when Snowden dropped this. But I mean, honestly, what, are any, what, what can really any one of us or small group of us do? And we all have families and, and um, you know, hopes and aspirations outside of political involvement. I get that. Uh, and I, I do too. I don't like to spend all my time focusing on the insanity of politics. But when there are things we need to see... Um, I think it's it's a good thing to point our 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 gaze in that direction. But remember, we, we this is a gaping wound still, and the story is building to add to that with the second Patriot Act. These this law was also wild, wildly abused. I mean, just so abused. And the most recent example of that was the FISA warrant granted to surveil Carter Page as the Trump administration assumed power in 2016. Um, it looks like they used the Steele dossier as the evidence to build the case to achieve the granting of that FISA warrant. And it looks like that dossier may have been the product of British intelligence. And not in the like, oh, I saw him do it in Russia type, but like, no, we made this up. Um, and they were that that gave the outgoing administration and some of the folks that stuck around in DC that didn't didn't get replaced by by the Trump administration. It gave them a lot of insights into potential strategy and what was going on. Um, and then secondly, obviously, it's being abused because mass surveillance is taking place. If For those of you that have, that have uh, watched shows like The Social Dilemma, The Creepy Line, or you've read any of the books like uh, Surveillance Capitalism, or just understand what's happening in Silicon Valley in terms of their ability to manipulate human beings on a mass scale, Guess what? If we approached the Patriot Act, the first one, with a different tact, or if we, God forbid, ever hold our our elected officials and power accountable for any of their actions or decisions, um, these Silicon Valley companies may have not have felt like they had the ability to do what they ultimately did without ruffling feathers. But and they hid I. They hid what a what a social network really was. It, for us, it's talking to grandma and sharing pictures of our kids. But for the folks that are at the control dashboard, it's it's real time analysis of behavior. And there's no more and there's no more powerful tool in the twenty twenty first century than that. Uh, Mao and Stalin and Mussolini would eat their hearts out. Um, so changing our focus to Patriot Act two what's coming down the pike. The narrative is building. 
I mentioned this was the day after the January 6th events. The Wall Street Journal ran a piece, and the highlighted piece here is Mr. Biden has said he plans to take to make a priority of passing a law against domestic terrorism. And he has been urged to create a White House post overseeing the fight against ideologically inspired violent extremists and increasing funding to combat them. Um, and this was already in the works. I found, and I believe it was from the same journalist, and this was a Wall Street Journal exclusive from November, but this was November 13th of last year. <clears throat> she ran a piece about President-elect Joe Biden, who has said he plans to make a priority of passing a law against domestic terrorism, has also been urged to create a White House post overseeing the fight against ideologically inspired violent extremists and increasing funding to combat them, according to people who have advised his team. <laughs> I want to point out, that paragraph is almost the exact same language. From almost two months ago. That's it's interesting. A little, a little lazy. But um, clearly the narrative is building. And, and it's only built further. And the other part of it you're seeing is look at the response to January 6th. We have seen Donald Trump be utterly deplatformed. I think he's still allowed on the internet. But uh, save for visiting pornography. I, I don't know what else that guy's allowed to do. He's, he's been totally removed from all social media. We saw another social media company, Parler, get censored. They got deplatformed off of the, the, the two biggest app stores out there, the, the iTunes app store and the Google Play store. Um, those are basically the only, <laughs> the only two places where you can download an application on a smartphone. Um, and you saw the censorship. I saw, I mean, I, thousands and thousands of accounts on Twitter lose followers for days after the January 6th. And, and the algorithms that these social media companies use to do this are not perfect. So that they cast way too broad a net and they end up just hitting a bunch of high quality people in a way they shouldn't. Um, but that is a massive escalation. And more importantly, have we ever thought to consider you know, let's talk about the MAGA crowd that was there on the 6th. And let's say every single one of them was just a QAnon, just been in their basement for four years, learning about all these crazy evil ways the deep state is is eating babies in the woods and they're going to they're gonna come for you too. Um, let's just assume they are. What do you think their response is? to the, the general corporate press response has been. What do you think that does to their thinking? I would argue that in their mind, it proves their narrative to them. They're right. They're coming after us just like Q said they would. Or they're, they're, they're calling us terrorists just like Q. I just, I'm just a freedom fighter, right? Um, and no matter how baseless, how baseless their, their theories or their positions might be, that is what it's doing to them and their minds in real time, especially the folks that are more dug in on the extreme side. And I do think that's a, a an overwhelming minority. The idea that we have some massive millions of white supremacists looking to take over the country problem, I think, is just so overblown. It's it's it makes me do that a lot. Rub my eyes and, and shake my head. Um, but clearly what you're seeing is bipartisan support for the legislation that Rachel mentioned in the Wall Street Journal and that now is being touted everywhere. 
um, especially on on the political left and more the mainstream political left. Um, you know, they there's there's maybe understandably they they want to sink their claws into Trump as deep as they can, and that that extends to his supporters. They're they are pointing the cannon at political enemies, and I don't care how justified, unless they are on your front door, about to to put a gun in your face. Um, your political enemies are not until they are an, an active threat to your livelihood and well-being again on your front door you, you you shouldn't you shouldn't engage in a game of, of brinksmanship or escalation because you're just guaranteeing a bad outcome maybe for you maybe for them i don't know but you're guaranteeing a bad outcome somewhere interesting that that there clearly is bipartisan support for this in congress because the gop has a problem right they've got a they just inherited a, a large chunk of trump voters they have no idea how to strategize how to get a candidate that they'll like in front of them um so they've got they've i think they've kind of got to toe the the line here in terms of the general um mainstream feelings over over what's happening and just call this a coup and and you saw Lindsey graham and and others condemning it in the same manner that was condemned from the opposite side of the aisle which you would expect more rhetoric rhetoric there because you know again opponents but what about the public what about you and i again i've never spoken to anyone that's been like rah rah surveillance rah rah uh unimpeded power of the state to wage fights against drugs or terrorism or domestic terrorism when's the last time we won any of these wars war on drugs failure war on poverty failure war on terrorism failure war on domestic terrorism we're going to turn the boat around and we're going to nail it no there's not a chance this is going to turn neighbors into enemies and in some you know in small ways it it has already but we've got to find some common ground here to put a stop to that dynamic before we totally lose our national identity and and the worst of the worst can happen um i generally again don't think that there is broad bipartisan public public support for the expansion of these kind of powers because i'm talking to the public i'm talking to you guys we're having conversations we don't want to do this we don't want to go down this road no matter what your political stripes are this is totally totalitarian and again you're you're building an apparatus that you are not guaranteed to hold forever. Eventually, your political opponent will beat you, and then you are at the end of that apparatus. You are where the cannon gets pointed. I don't mean to keep bringing, um, you know, old Vietnam protest song lyrics to the show tonight, but uh, I, I guess I can't help it. Now, there's already been the, you know, the talking points about what. The Patriot Act 2.0 is going to put a stop to domestic terrorism, violent extremism. No, it won't. No, it will not. Just like, you mean just like the, the war in Iraq was supposed to put a stop to sectarian violence and extreme and religious extremism? And instead, what did we get after cracking the Shias and the Sunnis apart? We got the Islamic State. Um, I'm sorry, these politicians that, that use chaos, real or otherwise, to strike 
legislative victories while the public's head is spinning, it's it's deplorable. And, and their track record is terrible. Politicians are the only people we don't hold accountable for like, <laughs> I'm in the financial advisor world. Like if I was a systematically terrible advisor, I would not be able to continue telling people what to do with their money. Why do we not hold our politicians to the same standard? Um, the one, I don't want to get too lost on red flag laws, but that was the one piece that was highlighted in the original Wall Street Journal article from November about what will likely be in this domestic terrorism law. And I find that interesting because I would consider a red flag law a gun, le- a gun control item. And that debate is still very much open. Think about the 11 or 12 million new gun owners from 2020. A lot of them who vote blue, um, the cat's out of the bag. And we're, we're also 3D printing firearms at scale now. So it's, it's, it's not a domestic terrorism issue, red flag laws. And what a red flag law does is it allows family or friends of an individual or law enforcement to petition a court to uh, allow for the seizing of their firearms predicated on something like mental health. And there is very much room for a discussion there. What I am concerned is that law enforcement will just say mental health, like it'll just become a rubber stamp, maybe not quite rubber stamp, but it will be another tool to, to disarm folks without any due process, which, you know, at least on paper, we are constitutionally entitled to. Um, But talking about the censorship angle and just the, the speed of change, the rate of change, the delta. You know, Trump went to bed on Tuesday night with all of his internet connections intact and he woke up on Friday or, you know, maybe he did wake up on Friday night. Who knows what his sleep schedule was like that week, but... He woke up at another time two days later and it's all gone. And a lot of people that rely on the internet for for their livelihoods that don't espouse an explicitly I hate Trump and, you know, I will vote Democrat forever point of view, they shouldn't be punished or attacked or have their their accounts um, suspended or their followers removed just at the, at the stroke of a of a decision at a social media company. Now, what you, what did you see? What was the pushback? It's a private company. They can do whatever whatever they want. And it's an interesting take for for a a um, a politically capital L liberal to suddenly take a very very small L libertarian position. But I would argue that that social media is a social good and a public good. It's a public utility at this point, especially in COVID nineteen world. We don't we don't have a physical town square. You know, I've developed friendships on those platforms that I don't see why they get to just take them away if they don't like something that I say. Um, so I understand, you know, <clears throat> you can, you can wear that, wear, wear that argument a little bit, but then we've got to focus the, the, the conversation on what is social media for us. Um, and I just don't think it's it belongs in the hands of these private companies, especially given what we are learning that they we're learning about what they do with it and what they do with it is is 
I mean, to put it frankly, they, they screw with your head to, to trick you into spending money or to trick you into voting a certain way. It's, it's really remarkable the kind of manipulation that these companies get away with and then we defend them as private companies when they start um, just doing a mini purge of folks that just had the wrong opinions. So, you know, if you want to suspend Trump under the idea that, that he's, he's fomenting insurrection, fine. Um, but the coordination with how many companies just fell in line to like, well, we're kicking him off of all platforms. That's a warning. And not too long, if we continue on this trajectory, that will be, they will be capable of doing that to anyone. Um, and I, I highlight the, the poem from Pastor Niemöller with respect to um, the Nazi regime. First, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the unionists. You know, it's not about, I understand, like, if, if, if you're on the left, this is, a, this is a victory for you, and you're excited. And more importantly, you think that there are very dangerous things about your political opposition. The first thing I'll point out is, guess what? They feel the same way about you. And the second thing I'll point out is, it doesn't matter if you disagree. Ultimately, this instrument will be pointed at you at some point. And, and that's what we need to remember here. It's not about... It's not about... Um, it's just being... It, being able to freely exp express one's thoughts is maybe one of the greatest gifts to mankind that that we've ever gotten away with from a you know a ruler and ruled perspective uh and letting that go is not going to happen in the united states without way worse than whatever january 6th was and we're, we're rapidly building a ministry of truth and we're building a ministry of truth that looks to be held and like pseudo quasi public private hands right we've got facebook we've got twitter we've got google we've got these mega oligarchical companies and then we've got the state and they're they're shaking hands um on an often uh, on an awful lot of policies that i don't think do anything for you and i and that i actually think do us quite a lot of harm irrespective of what your ideology is is there a silver lining to this Man, I hope so. I think part of it is that we're all seeing it again. It's so obvious. Like it's a little bit, it's a little bit, um, you know, the folks that are typically behind the scenes are a little bit out in the open and we need to make sure we pick our adversaries very carefully. Um, and I don't mean physical adversaries, but who are our, our political opponents? Is it the other side of our spectrum or is it the, the, the folks that keep us so locked in to that dynamic that we do not see what's happening with bipartisan support like Patriot Acts. So is there a silver lining? Potentially. You could absolutely um, write your senator, write your congressman, congresswoman to express your displeasure over whatever legislation comes. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be, it's going to be a, um, a big, a big steamy turd. I don't know. <laughs> it's not a very professional way to put it, but I don't know how else to, to get it across. This is not going to be, and I laugh, I laugh as not to cry or so not to cry. Um, 
we, we are not going to like the, the results of what comes out of increased totalitarian authority in the United States. So um, shifting gears and I, I, Jamie and I are going to write ours and we'll put that up when we, we mail it out. If you want to look at the text we sent, um, we will not be supporting any of this. Clear eyes section, taking a look at some fiat news, some gaslighting. Some of you may have heard me mention a treatment or a potential treatment for COVID-19 that is off patent. I'm not going to mention its name here because some of the uh, AI algorithms that are censoring and throttling content that talk about it um, look for that. But you can see it in the slide deck. And here is a, a piece from Associated Press that ran on December 11th of 2020. No evidence that this particular treatment is a miracle drug against COVID-19. Here's a link again from, from the Associated Press if you want to check it out for yourself. But I want to focus here on the first, the first paragraph, the claim. The anti-parasitic drug has a miraculous effect that obliterates the transmission of COVID-19 and will prevent people from getting sick. Uh, the word miraculous is, is a little bit, um, there's some, you know, some discretionary value you could attach to that word that may or may not warrant being put in that sentence. But it was in response to a gentleman by the name of Dr. Corey that gave testimony in front of Congress that did describe this particular treatment as a miracle relative to what is available um, to fight intensive care in the ICU or about to be in the ICU um, folks that have come down with COVID-19. AP's assessment, false. Focus on this sentence, if you will. There's no evidence ivermectin has been proven a safe or effective treatment against COVID-19. So drop the headline with the miracle drug, drug, drop the claim about the miraculous effectiveness. What they're trying to say is they're setting it up as like, no false. It's not a miracle drug, right? That's the fact check here, but they don't say that in their assessment. They say there's no evidence ivermectin has been proven safe or effective in treating COVID-19. No evidence exists. Meaning if I went looking for it, I should find goose egg none zero well that isn't quite the case um further down in the piece the facts during a senate hearing tuesday a group of doctors touted alternative covid19 treatments including and the anti-malaria medication hcq which we've mentioned before medical experts have cautioned against using either of those drugs to treat covid19 studies have shown that hcq has no benefit against the coronavirus and can have serious side effects. No evidence has been shown to prove that works against COVID-19. Now, this particular treatment, the one in question that I am not mentioning, again, no evidence has been shown to prove that it works against COVID-19. This is objectively and categorically false. And I will show you. There has been a meta-study done of 33 random clinical trial studies for the impact of this off-patent anti-parasitic medication. Over 10,000 patients in these studies. Now, not as broad as the patient counts you're seeing in the vaccine trials, but I will have you know that this particular treatment has been around and has gone through hundreds of millions of doses for other things for quite some time. And it's also used to uh, to fight parasites in horses as well. 
752 patients. There are 752 observations of early treatment that led to 84% improvement in outcomes. Um, 5,700, over 5,700 patients that received it late in the onset of COVID-19 still saw a 46 improvement and most importantly, no awful outcomes um, and no, no terrible side effects from the particular treatment. All studies, 10,136 patients, 77% improvement. And this comes from IVMmeta.com. And there's another gentleman that I will happily point you to, uh, towards, uh, Chris Martinson of Peak Prosperity. He is a virologist. He has covered this particular um, treatment extensively. Several hours of, of video covering this, not just studies, but how it actually interacts at the cellular cellular level with COVID-19 and um, how it's just kind of been buried. So going just, I got to show that AP piece again. <laughs> I mean, they said no evidence exists. No evidence has been shown to prove that ivermectin works against COVID-19. So is it fake news? No. But what it is, is fiat news. It, it is not intended to give you an unbiased, rational look at the facts and then let you draw conclusions. That that was the original I, idea, I think, of the, the fairness doctrine and just the way we used to present news, even though it's always been some level of propaganda because when you need to get the state's message out there, you just put it on TV. But for the, the personalities that like our grandparents and our and our and some of our parents grew up with, they would just give you facts and then you'd turn the you'd turn the television set off and go, hmm. Or at least that's the romantic idea of it. Um, that is not what we read today. That is not what we see on TV today. It's, there is an in, there is an intent to influence how you think or what you think about what you are reading. So it's not fake. It's fiat. And the and the big things we got to keep in mind when we're reading this stuff. Uh, again, uh, huge thanks to Epsilon Theory and all the work they've put forth, you know, for effectively for free to help us understand this. Uh, why am I reading this now? And who benefits from my reading this? You know, who benefits from this situation? Um, I don't, I have no data to knock the efficacy of the vaccines. The only thing I've, I've said is just, we don't have any profiles of people having had this for a long period of time, um, which makes me a little bit hesitant because I, I generally don't trust um, pharmaceutical companies. But but clearly they're the benef- they're, they're the beneficiaries of of narrative that would cast doubt on a pre-existing treatments that wouldn't be very expensive. There's there's no need for billions and billions of of grants and and funding from the federal government because this is a known thing. You just maybe you need a little bit of a few million bucks to ramp production like Greece did of of hydroxychloroquine um, late last year. And and the question, the last question, you know, is is this analysis being done in good faith? And there's no way of knowing that by just reading the one analysis. As I mentioned, I think on the first video, there's no value in confirming your bias. None. The value comes from having a bias or a a thesis 
and then asking people to destroy it. Who, who wants to argue with this? Who has a good point against this? What am I missing? How am I wrong? And so when we read stuff, again, the, the, the source here is pretty remarkable. That's the Associated Press. This isn't some CNN or Fox or MSNBC or o, OAN or whatever all the ridiculous, you know, news, newsotainment, you know, in, infotainment channels exist on cable. This is what is supposed to be a bastion of journalistic integrity um, lying. In this, this particular case, kind of hiding their lie, but it's a lie nonetheless. Um, this is how you've got to read all of the information that you digest, whether it's in video or, or print. Um, and good luck staying sane. It is a little bit, if, if you're not, if you're not someone like me that's that's trying to do this as a service for others and for themselves to understand things and, and to adjust your personal life to, to be a boat riding with the waves as, as opposed to <clears throat> getting thrashed by them, um, avoid it as much as you can, but find outlets that at least make an attempt to be high integrity. So I, I've put all of my thoughts and, and, and the, the legwork I do for these shows, my, everything is, is built around and tethered to, I want to bring you what I actually really think. And I want to show you how I get to that thinking that it's not just built on, um, some wild thing I read once or some movie I watched that I, I watch these things pretty closely. I stay pretty connected to them and I look for inconsistencies and I look for where, where there might be gaps in understanding. Um, Find as many of those people, even if it's not me, that you can, because these are the folks that will treat you um, as though you're a human being with your own mind and your own your own faculties to make decisions for yourselves. So that does it for tonight's show. Um, thanks again for spending. It looks like we did over an hour or about an hour. Thanks for spending an hour with me and I will see you guys on the next episode. Everyone be healthy, be well and take care.